as I've had opportunity this morning to interact with folks and even to stand here now and see you all, it's fairly obvious to me that everybody here spent at least some time this morning in front of a mirror. Um, I'm no exception to that. I spent some time in front of the mirror, but I had an experience that probably was unlike yours. Some time ago, my wife bought a mirror for our room, and it's a a full-length mirror that sits on the floor. And this mirror has just a little bit of of a bow to it, which causes this effect. It caused me to give it a nickname. I call that mirror a skinny mirror. It's pretty obvious why I call it a skinny mirror. I will go and look in that mirror sometimes, and I'll think, man, you look like a million bucks. I think our scale must be broken because it's giving me the same thing on the scale, but this mirror just shows me something that was not what I was expecting. Maybe you have a mirror that gives you a reflection that, not, isn't, quite, that isn't quite accurate. When we look into God's Word, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1 that the Bible acts as a mirror. I'm going to read those verses for us in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to let you know that the Bible can actually give a reflection that is not something that someone needs to see. Jesus Christ is going to encounter some of those religious leaders, and as He encounters them, it's very, very clear that they have an exposure to God's Word, but it's not, it's not telling them the message that they need to hear. Now, for you and I, in James chapter 1... Very much so, the, the Bible is an encouragement. Look at what, starting in verse 22, and look at this wonderful picture of the Word of God as a mirror for those who know Jesus. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word, and not a doer, well, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself... And goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, but forgets, forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There is a warning that is given today from Jesus from individuals who knew the word of God. So they did not look into the Word and see the perfect, perfect reflection of themselves. In fact, what we'll see in God's Word today is an extreme warning to those who know the Word of God, but they do not know the God of the Word. This warning is very serious. He goes so far to, to teach us that if someone is familiar with the Scriptures, but they are not born again, what they can actually do with exposure to the Scripture is they can press themselves further into a self-reliance. They can build their pride in a way that takes them to a dangerous place. And this is a difficult theme to navigate because, of course, if someone does not know Jesus Christ... We want them to be exposed to the forgiveness and grace and mercy that's taught in the Bible. So that's something that we want. And yet Jesus is clear that there are some who knew the Scriptures and they were enemies of Christ. Sons of the devil, if you will. A key question for us to ask 
whether someone who professes to know Christ or not, but if you want to benefit from time in the Scripture, the question to ask, and if, you, if you've got someone to write this down, write this question down. Ask the question, am I pliable? When you and I approach the Word of God, we need to make sure that we are open to flexing towards God's ways. When you read the Word of God, when we come to it and it gives us a direction to go, we must be pliable. Now, to contrast what you and I face if we know Christ, what we face when we read God's Word is we're supposed to have a result that leads to worship. There should be private worship as a result of studying God's Word. You come across a story of God's forgiveness, or maybe you see yourself in the Bible, and you have to worship God because of that. You want to join together with others and worship Him, even this morning as we were able to sing. Some of those words were just jumping off the screen to me. That should drive us to a place of both public and private worship. When you and I study God's Word, it should drive us to a place where we are using our spiritual gifts. Service is a result for us as we study God's Word. We must, every time we approach the Scriptures, approach it with humility. Because of the most mature Christian that you know, there is not one who still cannot grow a little bit more. Mature more in their walk with Christ. And so we recognize the need to respond with humility when we come to God's Word. That's a challenge for us. Jesus Christ approaches some who are not going to respond with humility, and they're in this place of danger where they're exposed to the Word of God, but they are building up their pride, depending on themselves to please God instead of the work of Jesus Christ. All that to take us to Matthew chapter 12. Would you please turn with me to Matthew 12? If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 924. And feel free to keep that Pew Bible if you do not own a Bible of your own. Matthew chapter 12 is where we're going to be. One more time, we're going to spend focusing on the ministry of Jesus Christ. He is going to see a demand made of him right here. Jesus Christ is going to have another encounter with the Pharisees. And they are going to insist that he perform a miracle just for them to validate that he is the Messiah. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Jewish leaders, and they were very, very far from God. And they're in such a dangerous place, and Christ confirms that. I need to let you know about these ones that he's speaking to. They had just witnessed a couple miracles. A demon-possessed person had that demon cast out. And then also a man with a withered hand. So they had just seen these miracles, but they could not receive the greatness of who God was. They could not receive that he was the Messiah. And so we're going to see they demand another miracle. Now let me give an illustration that most of you are going to be familiar with about a knowledge of God without intimacy with God. Many people can know about God and even practice some of the principles in God's Word and benefit from that. But for the individual who knows all these things but does not have intimacy with Him, they're going to miss something huge. 
Here's the example that most of you are familiar with. When we look at the story of Christ's birth, and we remember those magi that came along, the wise men? As the wise men travel and they're looking for the newborn king, they stop at Herod's place. Remember that part in the story? And they say, where's the newborn king? We've come to worship him. Well, Herod hears this, that there's some kind of a king that's going to be competition with him. And who does Herod go to to find out if this is true and more specifically where that king would be born? Do you remember who he asked? It was his, his wise men, his counselors, the Jewish religious leaders of that day. And did they know where the king was going to be born, yes or no? Yes. They knew that Christ would be born in Bethlehem, but they were cold to its meaning. That the Messiah was being born, God on earth, Emmanuel. And so that's a perfect example of knowing the Scriptures, but not knowing the God of the Scriptures. And these encounters going between Jesus and the religious leaders back and forth, they are moving towards an impact. And right now, Jesus is going to be pretty rough with this group. The first thing that we see here is that Jesus refers back to Jonah and also to the people that Jonah preached to, the Ninevites. Let's start reading in verse 38 of Matthew 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, before we jump into talking about the sign of Jonah, which is what Christ mentions here, I want for us to notice a parallel just so you can get to know these guys that are questioning him a little bit better. It's wonderful that we're looking at this account in the Gospel of Matthew because we find a parallel in the Gospel of Matthew to someone else who opposed Jesus Christ. And not only did he oppose him, but he wanted Jesus to perform a miracle. You don't have to turn back there, but if you want to later on read Matthew chapter 4, we find that Jesus Christ encounters someone who opposed him. Starting in verse 2, this opposer, see if you can guess who it is. Matthew 4 verse 2 says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Later on in verse 6, Satan would say, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. It's very, very clear what kind of men these are that are opposing Jesus Christ. They are in league with the devil. 
But it's a good question for us to ask. Let me go ahead and ask it. Do you think that if Jesus would have stopped what he was doing and performed a miracle for them at that moment, even a miracle at their request, what would it be? Feed, feed thousands again? You tell me. If you think that Jesus would have stopped and performed a miracle for them at that point, do you think they would have turned and followed after Christ? Well, I mentioned earlier that Jesus had done a miracle in their presence. When he healed the man with the, the withered hand not too long ago, they witnessed that in the synagogue. And we find their response when that happens. Because it says, after they've witnessed that, they conspired how to destroy him. This applies to these men in this day, but this principle also applies to us today. Have you ever known someone who just said, if God would just perform a miracle for me, or if God would just heal my relative, or if God would just do this for me, then I will follow him. Men get to a place of desperation. Men will do anything sometimes to try to get what they think is best for them. But the lesson that we learn from these men who had witnessed a miracle and did not follow Jesus Christ is the same thing that applies today. I'm going to contend here in just a moment that if Jesus Christ were to physically appear to unbelievers, prove that he was God, preach to them, that does not guarantee that they would turn to him. Which doesn't make sense to us, right? I mean, that's, that's crazy talk. Of course, if they were to view God himself. Well, it's not true. Men do not want to repent. And so they will be able to find an excuse for anything. Anything they witness Anything that, that comes and someone who knows Jesus says, look at this, there has to be a God. There has to be a Jesus who died for the world. Man can find an excuse for anything that we can bring up. And these men are a perfect example of that. People won't be convinced even by miracles because in their heart they do not want to repent. And there's a great uh, story in the New Testament that, that kind of firms this up for us. When we look in the New Testament and we find the story of the rich man and Lazarus, I preached on that in the past several months, the rich man and Lazarus. I want to ask you if you remember a point in that story where, of course, the rich man and then Lazarus, who was poor, they both die and they, 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 one of them goes to Sheol or hell and one of them goes to Abraham's bosom which I believe that was before the cross of Christ at that point. And the rich man calls out, looks across to Father Abraham and asks him this question. Would you send Lazarus over here just to dip his finger in some water and cool my tongue? I'm suffering from this torment in this place. And Abraham responds, no, he can't do that. He can't come. And then there was a second request. Do you remember what it was from the rich man? He said, then would you have Lazarus go back from the dead because I have five brothers who do not know about this place. And if someone will rise from the dead and go and preach to them about this place, then they won't come here like I had to. Some of you remember the answer. I'll read it for us. 
Lazarus said, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Does anybody else like me struggle with that just a little bit? Don't you think that if we observed a miracle like that, someone rising from the dead and preaching about Jesus Christ, that that would obviously bring some converts? Well, clearly we see here that would not do it. If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. And today, if Jesus Christ himself were to appear, perform miracles, and preach, they would not accept him unless there is a work going on where God is drawing them to himself. Now, these wicked men came and said, we want you to do a sign. Don't answer too quickly. I'm going to ask you a question. Does does Jesus give them a sign? He does. He does. He didn't do what they were asking him to do, but Jesus Christ does give them a sign. And this is not in the text, but basically, if you guys just keep watching me over the next few months, as soon as you go and crucify me and you kill me, you watch. Because just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days, three nights, so I will be in the heart of the earth, and then I will conquer death. There will be a sign. They're going to have to pay attention after he dies when he conquers death and conquers sin. Now, it seems like Jesus at this point, which Jesus is always, he's almost always such a nice guy. He's always so compassionate and so wonderful, but it almost feels like now he he puts some salt in the wound. Because he not only condemns them, but now he's going to mention some people groups that on judgment day can also condemn them. And it's not just some people groups. He's not going to say, think of the best religious leader you can think of. They're going to condemn you. Instead, he's going to reference some Gentiles, some pagans. When he talks about Jonah and Nineveh, That's exactly what he's talking about, pagan Gentile Ninevites. Jonah is probably the most familiar of the minor prophets. And when we look at that story of Jonah, let me ask you a question of your recollection of the story. Was Jonah a great preacher? My opinion is is he was not. Now, I can see the results from his preaching, but his sermon in Hebrew was, was just five words. And if you remember the story of Jonah, did he go right away and preach? No, he didn't. He ran away from God. I think that that came through in the tone. If I didn't really believe what I was saying today, do you think you guys would pick it up pretty quick? If I was just monotone, reading something, this because I had to, I think that was Jonah's sermon. I think Jonah had to say it. He was obedient. Don't want to go through another one of those getting swallowed by a fish thing again. So he went through, walked through the city, five words. Destruction is coming if you don't repent. Jonah does not mention God. He does not mention their sin. And yet we find what some people have called the biggest awakening of any group of any time. Nineveh was a huge city, and the whole city, and the king, and even the cows somehow repent. Was Jonah a good preacher? No, he wasn't, but we see this incredible result. Now let me ask you this question, your opinion. Do you think Jesus Christ was a good preacher? (laughs) I think he was. Oh, 
wouldn't you love to go back and watch him preach? And yet as he has opportunity to expose people to the message of God and grace and forgiveness, they don't accept it. There's a contrast here with Jesus as a great preacher and with Jonah as not a great preacher. But why was there such condemnation? Pagan Gentiles coming to Christ and they will stand at the judgment and be able to condemn these religious group? Why is that? Well, it can be answered in a question. Who had greater exposure to God? Who had more light? The the, the Ninevites or these religious Jewish leaders? Well, very clearly, these religious Jewish leaders had much of the Scriptures, the Old Testament, memorized. And so their condemnation would be even greater. And I think there's an application in our nation today. It grieves me to think of how many people know the name of Jesus, celebrate Jesus' birthday, they celebrate His resurrection in one way or another. And in our nation, there are people who attend worship. They call themselves Christians. And yet, on Judgment Day, there are many who have had great exposure to the gospel of Jesus Christ that God will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they will go to the same place that the rich man went to. God does not have any grandchildren. Just because your parents were Christians does not mean you get into heaven. Every one of us has to make this decision for ourselves, and there are so many in our nation who claim to be Christian. I think that oftentimes they're just filling out a survey. Well, I got to pick one of these. I guess I'm Christian. I live by Christian values. And there is a danger to individuals who have been exposed to this because of their self-reliance and their pride. The Pharisees attended worship. The Pharisees knew the Scriptures and they prayed. And Christ condemns them. Now, he mentions Jonah and he mentions the Ninevites. Here's these Gentiles going to stand and condemn them. What could get worse than pagan Gentiles condemning them? Well, back in this day, as they're receiving the message, now he goes to Gentiles and one who was a woman condemning them. Wow, now Jesus is picking a fight. That's what we see next. Jesus refers to Solomon and the queen of Sheba. Look at verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The second witness that would stand and condemn is the queen of Sheba. We find the account of this story in 1 Kings chapter 10. Solomon had been very successful. He had great riches. He had incredible wisdom. The queen of Sheba had heard about this, and she travels so far to go and to see if it was true. And when she arrives, and she observes everything that could be observed, she realized that she didn't give Solomon near enough credit. He was twice as smart, twice as rich, twice as wise than she had heard. And her result was recorded in 1 Kings 10. She ends up praising God. And that pagan 
Gentile woman will stand someday and be able to condemn these religious leaders. Jesus says something greater than Solomon has come. And so in case they thought that Jesus was crazy, which I think probably some of them did, they probably thought, oh, now here he goes. He's, he's digging himself deep. This guy, Jesus, is saying he's greater than Solomon. Boy, this guy is gone. If some of them didn't already think that Jesus was gone, now he goes and gives them an illustration about demon possession. That's the final thing that we see here. Jesus refers to eight evil spirits. Look in verse 43. When the unclean spirit had gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings back with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Jesus likens them to a man that was possessed by a demon. And the application applied to them, and it applies for us as well. So many people search for meaning, search for solution, search for help in this world. And have you ever known somebody who cleaned their life up in a lot of ways? Maybe they put away the alcohol or they, or they started having some other practices that just made their life so much better. Individuals who clean up their lives can have some benefit for a while. But if they do not, here's the illustration of the house. If they do not have the right tenant come and take up residence in the house, they're going to end up worse than when they started. That's the picture for us. It's not enough for a person simply to clean, up, clean out their house. They must invite Christ. The application for this message is obvious for unbelievers. I don't apologize for that. There's not as much for us that know Jesus Christ today. He is just going toe-to-toe with these religious leaders. The application very much so applies for the individual who has not been born again. And the more they are exposed to good works, the more they are exposed to the teachings of the Bible, the more they practice those. If they do not accept Christ, they can get to a place where they're relying on themselves. Their pride will be built up, and they get to a dangerous place. That's the warning for them. But you and I very, very clearly can benefit from this message as well. You and I can take in God's Word. We can have the right kind of response. Let me ask this question to you for application. Can you take in God's word and not respond, not respond rightly to it? Of course you can. We talked about that in James. The individual who looks in the mirror, sees his face, walks away, and forgets what he is. So what is the right response for us? Well, when we are exposed to God's word, if we know Jesus We need to make sure that we never allow our heart to grow cold to the teaching of God's Word. Never get to the point where you say, well, I've heard everything. 
There's, there's no sermon I haven't heard. I've, heard. I've heard people preach through the entire Bible. I've studied it all. I've read that thing so many times, there's nothing more I could learn. This is a dangerous place for the one who knows Christ. Don't allow our heart to grow cold to the teaching of God's word. The maturing Christian is constantly seeking to be corrected and reproved by the word. And this means when you come to the word of God, you come with humility. For the one who knows Jesus Christ, it's not like looking into a mirror that has a bow in it. If you all the time are going to God's word and you walk away thinking, man, I'm looking like a million bucks. Nailed it this week. No room for improvement. That should not be our attitude. We approach our time in the word with humility, understanding that when God has us in this world, we can grow to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. And then very clearly, we need to be active in asking the Holy Spirit to make us humble and penetrate our hearts. I would make a request of you that before we gather together corporately, that you would join me in this request. Would you pray for others that are coming? That the Holy Spirit would penetrate their hearts? Sometimes I have this visual picture of the Holy Spirit just weaving in and out of all the pews here and touching us. In the opening prayer this morning, it was mentioned, would you wipe out all the distractions? There's something sweet and special about when God's people gather together for worship. When they gather as a group around God's word. The Holy Spirit is the most wonderful teacher. And it's special to us when we join together. And there's a danger that Jesus would tell us about, about becoming wise in our own eyes. Have you, ever, have you ever met someone and your response after talking with them or, inter- or encountering them several times was, you can't tell that guy anything? Have you ever had that encounter with someone? You've talked with them several times, try to give them advice. Maybe they're going through a tough time, and they simply will not listen to others. That needs to not be you and I when we approach the Word of God. You and I look into the mirror of God's Word every day, and we ask God, to teach us. And we say, God, I want to be pliable. I want to be flexible to do what you would have me to do on this day and the days that are ahead. Would you pray with me? Precious Father, we praise you for being the tower that we run to in difficult times. And we praise you, Heavenly Father, for the right amount of rest that you give. You know us. You know how feeble we are. You understand what we can take and when we can take it. And so, Father, I would ask that you would allow us to understand the privilege and blessing that we have of having your written word, the resources to help us study it, and the wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit to penetrate our hearts and to allow us to look into this mirror And walk away wanting to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, and less like ourselves. We thank you for the miracle of salvation. We thank you for what Christ was doing in this encounter. As he talked with these who were sons of the devil. These ones who were just men whose hearts were so hard and they would not accept Jesus. And we thank you that Christ went through his time here in this world 
And ultimately, when it came to a head, Christ went to the cross. And these men, his enemies, thought they had won. And Satan, the first opposer, thought he had won. But Christ conquered death and conquered sin. And we stand today able to say, hallelujah, we are forgiven. And we thank you that we can sing about that grace and mercy. And we thank you that you've left us here in this world to tell others about that. We praise you for the wonderful change that you've made in our life. I want to give you a chance to pray this morning. While the piano plays through softly, our challenge today has been about how Christ encountered the Pharisees and the scribes and how they were cold. The Word of God did not change their thinking, did not change their heart. I want to first of all give an invitation. If there is someone that's hearing this message today and they have never given their heart to God, by that I mean they recognize that Christ died on the cross because they were a sinner and they don't have to pay for their own sins, but they could take the forgiveness of Christ because he conquered the tomb. Even in this moment, you can pray and say, God, I'm not sure exactly what to say, but I know I'm a sinner. And I want to ask you to forgive me and make me your child. And he promises to do so. Maybe today you've realized that you're not looking at the mirror enough, the mirror of God's word. You're more and more like yourself, unchanged into the image of Christ because you're not exposed to the God of the word. I would encourage you to pray. Ask God to help you to do your best in this world to be looking into the mirror of his word.